Hey guys, just a heads up, this is a not safe for work podcast, so keep it in your pants until you won't get busted. <laughs> Orgasmic Terrorist, a podcast about acceptance around becoming authentic within our sexual exploration. Orgasmic Terrorist. Welcome to Orgasmic Terrace. Jenna and Sarah's here. Hi, guys. So we have this really unique moment today. Jenna, tell me what's going on today. Well, today we are rounding out our health piece for this season. Excitedly, as I think you all know or should know if you're listening to us, we're going to do an all BDSM season next time. But today we wanted to end on a very wonderful opportunity. We have Tiffany, who is a trans woman that was a special forces medic and is now a physician's assistant. And she is here to discuss trans, non-binary, and DSD, which was formerly known as intersex and is now known as disorders of sexual development with us. So thank you, Tiffany, for being here. We are so excited to have you. It's absolutely my pleasure, and especially when it's such a small percentage of the population in the trans world, to, to have other people interested in this to help us with the education of others, because I think the biggest problem is that People just don't understand. They're afraid to ask questions and they don't even know how to approach it. Even if they do have curiosity, they're afraid to do so. So the more platforms that we have just to discuss the, the situation or the issues that are going on, I think is helpful for the whole world. I agree. I think that's what our main mission statement is. It not Sarah's just yes. helping people and giving platforms to the things that we feel resonate with us and really want to you know, exposed to the greater common people that don't really, again, like you said, not many people have trans experience, not many people know or understand. And we definitely all, how we're raised is a thing and all of these ideologies. And when we're coming into our own, it's so important to have our own information. So I really appreciate you being here. I'm so freaking beyond happy. Oh, to have I am you too. Here. I met Tiffany through my best friend, David, which we talked to. And she just, the second I met her, just made my heart sing. So I'm excited to have her here with us and share. You have a presentation that you give doctors. Would you mind sharing that with us? It's a, a number of different presentations okay. depending on the crowd, but my specialty was in dermatology. So I actually started with the with the dermatology group of physician assistants. And then they had asked specifically for someone in our professional organization to give a talk. So I right. put a talk together and I had a number of people that came up afterwards. I mean, so it was like an hour long talk, but it was like six hours after the talk was additional questions, trying to understand it. It was just wonderful to hear so many medical professionals who were really, truly interested. They wanted to under, they really wanted to understand. They wanted to be more helpful, but they felt like their hands were tied because they just didn't know how to go forward. And I made an analogy in some of my future lectures when I was talking about the transgender healthcare or transgender medicine at other medical conferences, where I would add, is it really normal for us as medical professionals to be afraid because we don't want to offend anybody? And especially in the world of Google reviews now, someone just says something horrible about you. are like, <laughs> I was we're all going to die. Every time we look, we're all going to die. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You only have one star today. You're dead. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to try to create an environment so they understood what is the best way to go forward so we can basically get the best care. How can we skip over the things that aren't really as important in the world in the sense of, hey, your medical care and using the right pronouns, as long as I'm doing the best medical care, that's what should be guided. But educating the people on how 
absolutely amazing. It makes people feel to be recognized for who they're trying to represent as themselves, their honest, true inside self. And they're just really what we call gender expression, which is how are you dressing? And I think that the understanding and the difference between the gender of the brain versus your sexuality, which is what you're sexually attracted to. And then you look at you know how someone wants to express themselves. And these are all three different concepts, but 90% of the physicians that I've run into when I walk into an office and I'm getting a hormone hormones refilled or I'm talking about a cosmetic procedure. And I'm often referring to my girlfriend because she's just one of the best humans I've ever known in my life. And she's brilliant. And she's a retired nurse from the military. And the doctor's like, wait a minute, you have a girlfriend, but you're trans. I thought you were going to go for becoming a woman so you could have sex with uh, men. And so it's just a really so common really, misunderstanding. So that, let me just put this in here. One of my pivotal questions that I've always had, now I have my own story about individuals that are in my life, and we'll share that later, is the fact that people have questions, and they have questions about parts and everything. So can we, just as a sidebar, really quick, tell me terms so that when we start talking like this, that we actually understanding your verbiage. And I think it's I think it's a very important aspect on, on terminology to yes. use. But understand that there's not a right answer here. So you're actually not going to be in a position where you can use the proper pronouns or the proper nomenclature because I know that the WPATH, which is World Professional Association of Transgender Health, it's an international consortium of medical providers all across the the world who have been coming up with a, a group of standards that helps other medical practitioners who are providing health and care for transgender patients, as well as intersex or what's now known as disorders of sexual development and non-binary and so it's done by urinary. That's always been my I know I hear it, but I want to know the term. You no, know? It, it, it's a lot of and again, getting yeah. back to the nomenclature, it's really difficult because we're changing the nomenclature. So if we use the word transgender and we think we're being helpful, I know trans women who will absolutely never talk to you again if you use the word transgender. And they say, I'm a transsexual. It's what I was diagnosed with in 1972. Once they stopped calling me this other horrible name from the past, which is something that was abusive to me. And they don't want to use the new terminology because they've already found a word that they feel fits them. Them. So when you're talking about someone who's non-binary, I found that the best description that I got on this, and it was from watching like hours and hours of YouTube videos from non-binary people giving the talks, where it was a TED talk or an educational talk at a medical university. And the best one I found was when someone said, well, I look at society and I look at these pictures and I see all these pictures of women, how they act and how they behave, what I've seen in movies, what I've seen in every social setting in the world and everything I see about these women. It's no, I'm not she. Then they look at all the pictures of men historically, whether it be a TV show or a program or a movie or just what you see in society. You see you see a man and then a man with another man. So that's a gay man. And they're looking at this and they're like, yeah, not he. I'm not a he. So they're like, not he, not she. I'm just me. And once I heard that, because oh. it's kind of confusing for me also, and then from a trans perspective, I'm like, so I had a hard time understanding trans men. I was like, well, why would you want to change to being a man? Being a man sucks. <laughs> it's a sucky <laughs> word. You're the way around. I'm like, you're like, kind of sexy. I yeah. take a dildo any day. Yeah. An operational, <laughs> no biologic version. And I just didn't get, it's like, why would you change from the perfect sex? How can, how could, why would a trans man want to do that? And then I heard this comedian one time at, a, at an LGBT conference that I was uh, presenting at. And, and I got this comedian and she was, she, or uh, he, excuse me. Yes. He, pronounce, I suck at them. I'm going to apologize. <laughs> I suck at them. 
he was on the stage and he said, yeah, I'm, I'm a trans man. I'm out here. So I'm working really hard to do this. And the community just had this introduction. He goes, yeah, a little special shout out to all the men in the audience. Any men in here? And I'm mean, like, Woo. yeah, you guys pee standing up. I'm so jealous. <laughs> and it, it was like this crescendo moment for me. It's, oh, these things that we associate in our brain with femininity or masculinity that we associate from all our education, our, our talk, our perception of the world and the universe. And you know that it doesn't match what your biologic genitalia were given to you. And you're like, well, that doesn't fit me. But yeah. then we have a long history of people and trans men and trans women going into very classically super masculine roles in the trans women side is because we're trying to beat the woman out of us because we know how inappropriate it is. Everyone in the world treats them horribly. They get made fun of in every scenario, even intelligent comedies. They were still like the butt of every joke. And then trans men did get it away in the world a lot easier because they can be kind of tomboyish. Right. And tomboyish, or if you're like on a farm, or if you're like, you work with horses or construction, these things are acceptable professions for women now. And it could be that they've been trans men their whole life, but that was the way that they wanted to basically express themselves to the world which was what we would connotate as more masculine as opposed to more feminine. And just separating that from the sexuality, which is what most people don't understand, is they think yeah. that what gender expression, which is basically how you dress and how you act, and how does that apply to you and the world, as opposed to, it has nothing to do with who you want to have sex with, but what you're attracted to is what you're attracted to. Yeah, right. I think what I wanted to ask was when you and I first met and we were getting together to get ready to do this episode, you gave your own take on your transness. And I think I was kind of social warrioring a little bit or being way too woke. And you really affectionately patted my head and you were like, hold on. And so I was wondering if you would share just what you had told me about the fact that you're, so we're talking about your gender sexuality, right? In the trans community, it's how you identify her. And you are a trans woman, but your take on it to me was, I'm not a woman, I'm trying to be a woman. And I don't, I wanted you to do that justice because it was very like an aha moment for me. And I really appreciated it. Well, and one of the things that, and I'm going to invite everyone who's listening to the podcast now to just go to genderbread.org, gender bread like a gender bread man and they have a really nice image there where they talk about the sexuality does it come from the brain or the heart or the genitalia and it talks about the difference in the, and then the, then there's this big sort of like a green dots around the entire picture of the human and it was okay that's their gender expression in other words how do you dress how do you act and in the world, in the world of gender, we already know that there's a spectrum. There are super masculine women and there are super feminine men. And it has nothing to do with what they're sexually attracted to. That's just how they're presenting to the world. And then when you talk about someone who's presenting to the world in a gender different than what they were genetically given or genitalia that they were born with, and that's when we come up with the trans, which just means opposite or across from. So that's where the word trans comes from. But we're not in a position where you can actually come up with the right pronouns all the time, because there's a lot right. of people like in the non-binary world or in the queer world where they're like, or the gender fluid, we're like, well, sometimes I feel really boyish. Sometimes I feel really girlish, but I don't really feel like I'm 
I'm stuck into one area and the non-binary. I never feel masculine and nor do I ever feel feminine. Right. But I feel like I'm still a person. And I think that the important thing to realize is that in the nomenclature, the first time I got misgendered in a positive way, not someone like saying, oh, look at that man or what does he want? You're like really loud, which some people in public in, in, right. in public service, they like to make these comments just because they want to kind of put you in your place, just because they have their own opinion. And these are like customer service people. So I just think they should be fired. But right. that's my opinion. <laughs> they definitely the need a reprimand. <laughs> I went to a movie one time and I had, I had my long hair and I didn't have any makeup on. I wasn't wearing girly clothes. I was wearing something kind of sporty like this. And then I walked in and he goes, yes, ma'am, how can I help you? And I was like, I just kind of glowed inside. So, oh my God, someone call me girl. So I called my girlfriend yeah. just before I go in the movie there. Guess what? Guess what? Someone just called me ma'am and did multiple times as I was getting my order for all the snacks to go into the theater. So nomenclature and pronouns are really helpful in the sense of just making someone feel accepted. Not that you're like you're crowning them king or queen. All you're doing is saying it's just if a guy comes up and goes, what's your name? Bartholomew Thomas James Winston the 14th. <laughs> you can call, I met him. You can call me Bob. It's yeah. like people are just going to call him Bob or if they try to abuse or if a guy comes from a very foreign you know, culture and it's like, my name is Ticking Bapum Chiku. Do you go by anything else? Because I don't think I'm going to ever pronounce that name properly. And so we do this every day. Modern actors, they oftentimes have a different name that they're going by. And people are making a big deal of it now. For example, in the Jordan Peterson argument of, oh, you should not be able to legislate that I have to use this name or this pronoun with a person. Otherwise, I'm going to get in trouble. And my argument to Mr. Peterson, I'd love to have a conversation with him, would be, well, I agree. I don't think it should be legislated, but don't you think you should teach manners? If someone says, call me Bob, but you just call him Bob? That's what it is. You know, it's just common fucking decency. That's what I really struggle with against people is why I might not get it right. But the minute that you tell me what pronoun you prefer me to use with you, I'm going to make that important to me because it's literally no skin off my nose. Well, think don't yell at me if I get it wrong. Yeah. Teach me, show me. I'm here for that stuff. I have a funny story and I'm going to interject here really quick. I am from the South, which we mentioned before, and I do sirs and ma'ams. And oh, it's beat into you when you're young. Oh, yeah. Side. It's sir is definitely in my pronoun or in my repertoire or statements with people. And what was interesting is I went into a coffee shop and I'll make this quick. And I ordered a drink and this individual had this beautiful shirt that said, Something about their chest and it was across the chest, which caught my attention. I'm like, love the t-shirt. So they did my coffee drink beautifully. And I was grateful for something they had done in service industry. They reminded me about something like putting your loyalty number, whatever it was. And I said, thank you, ma'am. I just had this conversation about their chest, which was bigger than mine. Not judging, loving. However, I said, ma'am, to this individual, and they had already crossed the room and turned around on a pivot and stomped back to me and said, teaching moment. If she if they hadn't said that, I probably would not have stuck with me. But they turned around and said, teaching moment and stomped back to me and pointed to their right shoulder where they had this little tiny button that said they them. I was looking at their chest, not their shoulder where they had the right. button. And that triggered this idea. My problem isn't the pronoun. I'm okay with the pronoun, but I don't have a polite ma'am or sir to go for a they, them. Just thank you. 
Thank you. And that's what I my have to say. Exactly. I think that's the biggest thing is you don't, nobody, yeah. pronouns are pronouns. Or, like again, because you were raised in the South, right? This yeah. is stuck in or your their head. name, like Bob, like we were talking about yeah. earlier. It Thanks, could be Bob. Bob. Thank you, Bob. Thanks, man. And my brother-in-law gave me that because I ranted for about two weeks with everybody in my family and nobody had the good answer. And to my brother-in-law said, the best answer to that situation is, thank you, Bob. Thank you. And name. because it was, uh, they had a name tag on it, it was a business. So if you know their name, or you can just leave it as thank you. And I can be that adult <laughs> and do that. And I think just using, uh, instead of using the name tag, because sometimes we have to live by our dead name and understand the word oh. dead name. Yes. Can you thank explain you that? Dead, this, yes. dead name is a name that you were given by birth, but not the name that you go by. And it's actually so abusive. If you go by Tim, but your name is Bartholomew James Fitzpatrick the 14th. In first grade, and then that evil teacher comes up and goes, well, I'm not going to call you Tim because that's not your legal name that your parents gave you. I don't know if you guys remember the first, second, third grade. There was always the one teacher who refused to call you by what you like to go by because, you know, that's the name that's on the roster and that's what they would yes. use. And it's the same sort of disrespect, I think, in the trans world. And when you're talking about the non-binary or the gender fluid, where they're going by they, them, or they, them, and some of the other representations that are out there, you're not going to be able to know this. You're not going to be able to guess this. Some people will come in with fake breast forms and makeup and a skirt and nylons. And it's like, I'm not a woman. And you're just like, wow, really got that one wrong. So a lot of friends in the LGBT health community, and they want to always be right because they understand the power of just reinforcing that, hey, how you present yourself, I don't care. I support you. I'm on Team Tiffany. I don't care how you are going to be in your life. I am on Team Tiffany. But they make mistakes, too. And sometimes they're taking verbal clues from someone else in the family that are referring to he and him and he over and over. So the medical provider says, looks at the patient who they're seeing that day, who's a trans woman and uses he and him. It's, oh, I really hate that. And don't ever call me Jim ever again. I go by Janice. And then the doctor's, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. So I think the best way to approach something like that is if you're going to ask pronouns, don't say, what are your preferred pronouns? Well, like we have a choice. I prefer, I think the best thing is introduce yourself. Hi, my name's Tiffany. I usually use she and her pronouns in my life. What's your name? And just ask just like that. And if they follow the same pattern that you did, and if they say something like Sandra, and it's, well, you could probably assume that it's she, her, but if you say she, her right after it's like, oh, I go by Sandra myself as he still. And you're like, oh, okay, I'm so sorry. Just apologize, get over it, move on, and yeah. show respect for the human. Yeah, don't make a thing out of it. Just, It's just, again, it's just common courtesy, common decency, and respect. Right? I, I Nobody agree. needs to be disrespectful in any avenue. But- and I think that's key, what you just said there. It's just really more about, let's focus on being just courteous human beings to other cur- yeah. other human beings. That's it. I'm not, I don't like the idea that I'm trying to change someone's definition of gender. And I think that might be a mistake that uh, some of the people that are actually even in the LGBT professional world, they're saying, oh, you never want to use the word transgendered. You just want to use the word transgender because transgendered is someone hit them with the transgender ray and then they became transgendered. And I was okay. like, <laughs> I wasn't trying to okay. say transgendered. I was trying okay. to say transgender. And it just came out in a way that sounded like that. Then I heard wow. the recording later and I was like, that does sound like I was saying transgender. <laughs> I didn't mean to, but it was one of the, it was one of these moments where this is a person who's not transgender, who's a practitioner who works in the transgender world, giving me a lesson on how to talk to transgender people. 
And I thought in, in my mind, I'm thinking back to all the transgender women and men that I've known when they have corrected me on something. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Obviously, I'm trying to be respectful of that. And I've always had a hard time with the non-binary and the intersex crowd, which I'll talk about more about later, because yeah, I can understand now why someone who has the gender in the brain of their gender is feminine, but the gender of their of their genitalia is yeah. the opposite. So I can understand that because I'm living through it. But I can't even if we were talking for six hours, I can't say, oh, I understand this now and I can explain it till everyone else will understand it. I still don't understand it. I was born I had the masculine genitalia and I never felt like I, and even when I was like 14 and people saying, like, oh, you're becoming a young man now. I hated that word, the word man, my whole life. I despised it. And I didn't know why. And back then we didn't have the internet. I couldn't look something up. So even if I were able to go to the local library and look up books, the only kind of reference that I came across was something that was called a uh, cross-dressing. And so right. for the first 10 years of my life, I just referred to myself as a cross-dresser with people that I trusted, which was very few people. Wow. My favorite movie of all times is Birdcage. I absolutely, that movie changed my life. And they weren't trans. They were drag queens. You had Robin Williams, who was playing super gay. And brilliantly, brilliantly, he was so amazing. That movie, two copies of it. I don't even know how I got two copies of it. It's probably because I really like it. (laughs) But (laughs) you wore the first copy out. Yeah, I did. I'm sure I was intrigued by the relationship between Robin Williams and Nathan Lane and how they crossed over so much. Nathan Lane was definitely like he, she wanted to be a woman, but the world kicked her down and she came out as this drag queen as her persona. Since I watched that movie, I'm like, how many people in the world that live in that? Well, and the other question that I would add on top of that one is when you look at the trans world in general, which, you know, and the reason I'm always kind of adding in when I say this includes intersex, also known as disorders of sexual development now in the non-binary world is because when we look at the studies over the last 50 or 60 years, some studies would include as a sexual development. In other words, XY, XY, XXY, different versions of genetic presentations of a human being at birth. And there's other ones that are also biologic, like certain chemicals are just not processed in the body. So the SRY gene, which is what masculinizes a man with XX or XY chromosomes, and they can't process that. So they basically develop almost like women, Uh even though they have the genetics of a man. So sometimes it's biologic. So when I say intersex or the modern term, which is disorders of sexual development, it's because they literally have a biologic thing in their body that keeps them from turning into the classic woman or the classic man from the perspective of the processing of hormones at that right time through puberty. The reason I bring these groups up all the time is when we're talking about a study that was done in the 40s or the 60s or the 80s, sometimes they include disorders of sexual development. Sometimes they include non-binary queer, but a lot of these subcategories didn't exist. But on the medical side, you think they would have been captured. And other times in the middle of a study, they'll say, well, we're not going to include this. If they're trying a new medication for a new cancer treatment on patients, they'll say, we're not going to take anyone under 12 because that's like a pediatric cancer and that's different. Or we're not going to take anyone over 75 because, well, they might be just be dying because they're over 75. And we have studies and they have guidelines. 
And so when we're looking at these retrospective studies and we're trying to find out how many people are transgender and when, you know, in the modern polls, a lot more people are admitting during the polling that they are transgender or they see their gender differently than what their biology represents. And those numbers are coming up to 2% in just the transgender questionnaires. But then when you talk about the intersex, well, how many people transgender are also have a disorder of sexual development like Kleinfelters or XY or XYX or wow. something else. So it's really hard to quantify specifically what these differences are and what they represent in society. So getting back to my original point was you look at the suicidality. In other words, how many people think about suicide, how many people have attempted suicide, and how many people have completed and had a successful suicide when you look at the trans community in general. So you have you have a certain number of people when they have cancer. Well, there's a suicide rate that goes with people that get a cancer diagnosis. And we've been monitoring these numbers for decades. So it's different for a breast cancer diagnosis versus a prostate versus a lung versus kidney cancer. And in each one of these things. So we've been measuring those numbers. But we also have it for 25 to 35 year olds. We have it for white men. We have it for black women. We have all these categories we've been measuring. And if you look at the transgender numbers, they're high. Well, the LGBT numbers are high, but the transgender numbers are like six to 10 times higher than these other categories and groups. And I heard one man giving a medical lecture about transgender health. And he said specifically that all the categories that we measure in suicide added together are not as high as the transgender community. So for me as a medical professional, and this guy said, that's one of the reasons why he's practicing transgender medicine for the group of transgender patients, because he said, oh my God, here's a group that's being horribly underserved. I'm going to change everything I'm doing in my career, and I'm going to focus on this. And then when he and his wife started going forward and applying for jobs after medical school, and they both blew the boards out of the water. Right. She got job offers. And the only thing on his resume with equally high, fantastic scores and a doctor of the year sort of things, a resident of the year, brilliant doctor, he wouldn't get job offers in the same exact place. Because on his resume, he did say, oh, and I have this population of transgender patients because I saw one and they said, Hey, would you go see, would you see a cousin of mine? He goes, well, yeah, we're doctors. We'll see anybody, ex-ax murders, ex-murderers, ex-felons, anyone that comes in the office. It doesn't matter if they're a Christian or not. We take care of everybody. Right. And so he just started treating these patients and then started learning about it and joined WPATH and came up with the standards and approaches and just realized this population is dying at this huge rate. And if I was practicing medicine and a new study came out, said Jewish males between 24 and 35 have the highest suicide rate of all the other subcategories. Any Jewish male that I had coming in my office, and I don't care what specialty I was in, I would start to say, Hey, listen, now that we've taken care of your hypertension or your acne or whatever they came in for, how are you doing? What's your social network like? Do you go to church? Do you have a synagogue? Do you have people that you hang out with? What's your friend structure? I would ask those people just because I found a huge new problem. Just like if I had black females, it's, hey, we just discovered there's this really cool thing that if you do this one test... We can solve like 99% of thyroid cancers in black females from 25 to 35 if we identify this gene. Well, every black female that I get for the rest of my life between 25 and 35, I'd say, hey, has anyone checked this gene yet? Just because that's where the medical science and knowledge has taken us so we can actually stop things from happening. They're bad. So back to the question that you were talking about is we're talking about the suicidality. And what is represented in what we see as opposed to the stuff that's invisible, how many people have killed themselves because they were transgender or because they were intersex and they never told a soul? 
that's, so that's not going to show up on the suicide register of names and reasons or anything like that. But there's a lot of people in the gay community, a lot of men when they when their wife dies or their grandkids are just starting college. And so you have these 70 or 80 year old men that will show up in the local gay club, not knowing anybody or anywhere. And then when you're sitting down and talking with them, they're like, going, well, I've been gay my whole life. This is only the second time I've ever been in a gay bar. But I just decided, you know what? It's time for me to start living my life. And you're like, what do you mean? And they tell you their life story that they were straight, they had kids, they did the thing, and they were just hiding it their whole life because they thought of themselves as some sort of like horrible bubonic plague that was walking the earth because that's what the earth had told them. That's what society told them. That's what movies had told them and friends and family in churches. They go to a church that is telling them how evil and cruel and wicked they are. The thing about that statement that resonates with me is that on Netflix version of Frankie and Johnny? Grace. Frankie and Grace. Yeah. Where married, had children, both family and their gay partners that they in their 70s and 80s stopped their marriage and live gay. It's one of my favorite series. What I love about that one is that just gives a perspective in the sense that people who are watching this movie or the TV series, they realize that, hey, these people are gay their whole life. They hit it. They tried to live what society would consider a normal life because we always have this sort of a desire to please and to fit in. We would much prefer to walk into a room full of people and be accepted as to be ostracized. And so it's normal For me now, after running into many gay people, because like I said before, the only place I felt comfortable being myself and dressing up as a woman my whole life was in gay bars because living and growing up in the South, I just didn't feel comfortable anywhere else. Came from the time where they would take a gay person out of a bar, beat them up, tie them up and drag them to death behind a truck. And so when these stories are out there, and that's not even telling the other 15,000 stories that happened that never made the news. That was just so horrific. A lot of people know about that one. But in the trans community, now that we have Internet in the trans world, we're always aware of these unsolved murders at a much higher rate than anywhere else and for anyone else. But for the trans community, where they're you know like an ignored part of society and even Congress is now kind of pushing their stuff with making it really difficult for these people to be accepted in the world. You can't even talk about it in school and say, hey, we're not trying to convert anyone. We just want to say, oh, by the way, you know how sometimes men and women get married and have kids? Well, sometimes two men will get together and they'll adopt children. And sometimes two women will get together and they'll adopt children. Instead of just saying that this happens in the world, don't be surprised by it. This is just something that is happening. There are gay people in the world and there are trans people in the world. They're trying to make it seem like even to have the discussion is an aberration in society that needs to be fixed, which is telling all the trans people like myself, oh, you're the problem and we need to rid the United States of this problem. Right. Which is a little scary. Oh, my God. That's a whole nother episode, I'm sure. Let's ask the question about health. When you were in the conference recently, you shared about the difference between how you treat individuals that are female, male and trans. Let's share that. I think the I think the important thing, if you see someone that walks up that's dressed like a woman, has breast forms or even well-developed breasts on their own from cross-hormone therapy and they're wearing makeup, it's pretty obvious that they're trying to present as a woman. Right. But again, you're not always going to be correct. Yeah. These are real world situations where it's yes. like, what do we do? And that's the question. And there are other people that say, okay, well, what pronouns do you want me to use? And so it's like, I have breasts that are real. I got a 38 double D. I'm wearing makeup. My hair is longer than anyone in your office. And I'm wearing <laughs> a skirt and have nylons. And you ask me what my pronouns are. 
what the fuck is wrong with you? I mean, I mean, so we have those patients also. So there's not a right way, I guess, is my point. I would just say, be respectful. If it's obvious, shoot for Leonard Feminine by what you see. But, you know, you're going to unfortunately in- capture in that net the occasional woman who's just a tomboy and doesn't want to go by sir. And that's when the I think one of the safest ways and most respectful is, hi, my name's Tiffany. I use the pronoun she and her, you know, have your legal name written down. But what do you like to go by? I love that because one of the things when we started, I created a questionnaire. What is the name that your legal name? So I have record of it. Then what is your name you want to go by? And the reason why I do that is because I just don't want to, I don't want to assume. Because I I make an ass out of myself enough times. And also being a Southern girl, we are taught in the South. Bam and sir. So then yeah, when we run into genderqueer, gender fluid, non-binary, it's, oh, what do I do? Because I've been programmed at birth to say sir and ma'am every time I talk. Right. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Over and over. 15 times in a conversation. And all you're doing is buying a donut. Right. That's just the way that's just the way they're taught. And it creates something difficult. And I think that a lot of people and the term woke has been thrown around a lot recently. And I don't not a fan of it. I just like the word aware. Hey, I'm aware that there's different genders, but I don't understand it. But I'll just try to be respectful. Someone says, call me Bob. Call him Bob. It doesn't matter if they have 34 double D's. If they want to go by Bob, I call him Bob. Is that has to do with the Tommy, right, Jenna? I mean, in reality, it has to do with. It has to do with autonomy. I mean, we're claiming our own autonomy, just like we were talking about consent a couple episodes ago, where we're not forcing our children to hug aunts and uncles that they don't want to hug. Yeah, just your autonomy. It's just reclaiming your autonomy and understanding that you have the right to have that, regardless of what so many people out there decide what is right or wrong or other for somebody that is not them. That is, they have no right to do that. And in this case, I feel it's the same. I know that we come from right now, a very divided country. I know that, man, we've really lost a lot of great strides. The fact that we as women, period, have less rights than our mothers had now in 2023 is insane to me. And then to have such a gigantic divide in the country about human rights, literally basic human decency is insane. I think that your phrasing is perfect. That's what we really should be striving for. I can't educate everyone here in some way that you're never going to make a pronoun mistake because there's some people who don't even want to be asked about their pronouns and other people would rather you ask because their dead name causes pain. The wrong gender causes them pain because you always wonder in the inside, are they doing that because I just really look that bad? Are they doing that because they need to put me in my place? Are they doing that because their God told them that they need to hate me? Oh, I love you you for that. And and there's so many, and you don't know. And they could just be that they're ignorant, which is fine. I can invite ignorance because I can educate. Oh, I love that. And I can do it without my feelings being hurt. Oh, you just made a mistake. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry. What should I say? (laughs) And so then you tell them and they're like, well, wow, I'm okay with that. And you find that a lot of people You also come from it from that understanding, I think, where you are willing to have the teaching moments with people. You're willing not to have an ego-driven conversation, right? I think that's, it's, it comes from a healthy, detached place of, hey, this is me. This is where I'm at. I'm willing to put in the effort and then actually following through and doing that. And then if they don't step up and show up for that moment, then I feel like you're much 
better. We just had the conversation about boundaried around being able to walk away from that and just being like, cool, whatever you need to do. You were talking earlier about also a mic drop moment. So I've had a couple with people that definitely wanted to misgender me on purpose because they didn't believe in it. And it's one of those moments where it's just like when I was in the military and I'm going down to Central and South America, I was taught by some really brilliant older soldiers, some of that had been in the Vietnam War, and they gave us brilliant guidance on how to be special forces soldiers. And one of the best pieces of advice I ever got in my life was when they said, listen, you might be the only white person they ever see in their entire lives. You'll definitely be the only white person they see this month or this year because we're going into really small towns and communities where they have a military base in the middle of a jungle somewhere and we're going there to do our training or our operations or missions or whatever. So I was always told to consider yourself an ambassador. You're an ambassador for white people. You're an ambassador for all English speakers because they've never heard someone speak English in front of them. They've never seen a white person. They've never seen an American. So you were an ambassador to America. And I really like that because that because if you do something really negative, they're not just going to hate you, John Smith, the special forces soldier. They're going to hate all Americans. They're going to hate all white people or they're going to hate everyone who speaks English because you represent all of these things and you encompass all those things. At least I was impressed as a young soldier. So this is really important to leave a positive impression where I go. And I apply that to the trans world. So when someone comes up to me and it's like, I don't know what to do. I mean, and people, and I don't know if I'm just very approachable, but a lot of people have pulled me up to the side and said, so when you came in for a blood test and you asked for the bathroom key, I didn't know if I should give you the boy one or the girl one. What am I supposed to do in a place like this isn't a hateful woman. This isn't a mean woman. This is someone who's like trying to find out how the hell do I do this respectfully. And so I'm very open to giving the advice because I consider myself an ambassador ambassador. to humankind. And in this case, a trans woman, a white trans woman and all sorts of other sort of nomenclatures that we can go on the categories. But that's why for me. Someone comes up and says, well, you're trying to change the definition of woman. Well, not. I would prefer to be referred to as she and her for the rest of my life because I think it's kind of obvious what I'm going for. Even though I know my voice is not as high pitched as I wish it were. Even some of my mannerisms still have 50 years of masculine training. So it's kind of hard to, to undo some of those habits that I still have. But generally speaking, that's what I would prefer in my life. But I've also run into people who are so anti-trans and so opposed to it. And when I was talking about the mic drop moment, when right. I get some really angry person that are just super anti-trans, I run into gay people who are super anti-trans. And when they get in my face and they start saying, well, I don't believe this. I don't believe you're a woman. And then I can come back with the ambassador approach. It's like, well, I don't think I am either. I'm a scientist. I'm a medical physician assistant. I, I understand what genetics are. I understand what genitalia are. I'm just saying that when I look down between my legs, what is down there doesn't match what I feel in my heart. It doesn't matter what's in my brain. So all I'm trying to do is present myself like this because this makes me feel comfortable. If you got, if you saw a guy that walked up and dressed up like a pirate because he loved pirates, you can say the guy has a mental disorder, but if he's not hurting anything and he's the best cardiothoracic surgeon this side of the Mississippi, I don't uh, care if he dresses maybe. like a pirate. <laughs> Arr, Arr. Arr. on me all day long. Exactly. So I've run into some folks who are just like interrupting me and not letting me finish a sentence and tell them I'm not trying to change their definitions. I'm just being who I am to myself, my authentic self. And when I got on hormones and the doctor and my psychiatrist that I was talking with for the therapy that I was continuing to go on while I was doing my early medical transitioning, I was like, well, how's it going? I said, this is going to sound weird. And as a medical professional, it doesn't make sense to me, but I feel like I'm me for the first time in my life. And then what she says to me, it's like shocking to me. She goes, oh, I hear that all the time. I'm like, what? 
The sentence doesn't even make sense. I'm me for the first time. I've been me my whole life. How can I feel like I'm me for the first time in my life after starting the hormones? Right. So I don't get any moments to explain these kind of things to these people who are just in your face and yelling and screaming. So I came up with another way of approaching. It's okay. Wait, we have a disagreement here. First of all, where did you serve? What do you mean? What unit were you in when you joined the military? Where did you serve? And they're like, oh, I didn't go in the army. It's like, wait a minute. You didn't even volunteer to serve your country. And I volunteer to serve my country, put my life on the line and went to war and went behind enemy lines and did all this stuff. And I decided to act and behave in a way that just fits me naturally to what's on the inside of my body. And that offends you. But I was willing to take all these risks for my country and you weren't even willing to do that. They're like, well, it's like you can make all the excuses you want. Why the hell would I want to listen to you when you're not willing to serve your country? Who's more American now, the trans woman or the guy who wouldn't even go in the military? Anyways, that's my mic drop moment when those guys, and I did have I a couple that. guys who said, oh, I, yeah, I joined in 90 or whatever. I'm like, okay, well, that was 10, 15 years after I joined, but uh, nice. Where'd you serve? What'd you do? And he goes, I was, I was a cook or I was a, which is important. Don't get me yes. wrong. Love my army cooks. You guys are awesome. Or they would just say something that wasn't really super manly and masculine. Well, I was in special forces, Green Beret, not right. to be confused with Navy SEALs or pararescue or Marine recon. I was in army special forces, Green Beret. And it's like, and you're giving me shit and you're. Didn't even go to airborne school and jump out of airplanes. <laughs> You're like an Intel guy. And I love my Intel guys. I went to M6 school myself. <laughs> Tell me. But, it, you know, just kind of put them in the place of, I did this other super masculine thing, trying to beat every femininity out of my body, which is a very typical story. Going into the police or the fire or the military is very common for trans women and trans men, because that's a place like, hey, I can go into this job and do this super masculine job and feel more masculine because that's what makes them feel better. They can dress masculine. They can actually put on fatigues like all the time. And and they're in super happy land. Thank God we have that. And thank God they're able to do that now. Right. And I know that Jenna and I both come from military families. So we're right there with you and understanding all of that. Did you appreciate my mic drop moment? Yes, I did. You didn't even serve? Well, then why would I listen to you? I don't care what you think. I would like to continue on with a little bit more of what you present at these places. It it certainly isn't just the nomenclature, I would think. There's more to it for you. There's so much to it. One is all the physicians that I've seen are just shocked because they still don't understand that the gender of my brain and who I want to have sex with have really nothing to do with each other. Some people, when they start their cross-sex hormones, and understand, when before they start cross-sex hormones and they're just dressing as the opposite gender, many of them are what most Americans would consider straight. They're genetically females and they're attracted to males or they're genetic males and they're attracted to females. And then when they start dressing in another gender, sometimes that will change and sometimes it doesn't. So they have a lot of numbers, but the numbers have evolved over the years because we're getting much better at our studies and including, do we include someone who has a disorder of sexual development where we actually have a genetic or a biologic change in the way that their body processes hormones? Because there's a huge association with people with Heinfelter's SRY syndrome or something like that, where you see uh, a very strong association with lesbians that have specific genetic disorders. And you don't see that with the women have, you know, other genetics with that. Coming from this background that I have, tell me what Kleinfelter's and then the SR. SRY. SRY. So explain that a little bit more. I think the best way, because there's so many others, and I don't want people just, I mean, because there's like a list of 32 or whatever number of disorders that are on there. And a lot of them have been associated with trans men and trans women. A lot of them have been associated with homosexuality, whether it be with lesbians or gay men. And, And some of these things with these disorders, whether they be genetic 
or whether they be a biologic inability to process hormones the same way a genetic male should or should not be able to. When I'm giving the medical lecture, one of the things I like to make really clear to people is that the sexuality, or as a brilliant therapist once told me, who you want to fuck doesn't have anything to do with what gender your brain is. Oh my God, my heart sings to that. I know it answers my original question of when I have trans individuals in my life, I just want to not to offend them. Question, my head goes to, are they gay or are they straight? And it's and you just answered that with that statement because it also, doesn't matter. And it's also really hard to quantify gay and straight because you're looking at, okay, are we looking at just genetics? Or are we looking at genitalia? Or are we looking at the way they're presenting themselves to the world? And which one is gay, straight, bi, lesbian, or whatever? Right. And so I've heard people online, it's funny to have someone who I consider them anti-trans gay. Well, if a trans woman is having sex with a woman, then that means that she's a trans lesbian. And if a trans man is having sex with a man, that means that they're trans gay man or trans male. And in my mind, I'm like, no, those aren't medical terms or genetic terms. They're just something you made up. (laughs) I know. I've never heard of those. At the same time, if you think about it, sexuality, complicated, love, right behind religion, one of the most complicated subjects on the planet. And then when you add in that you're saying, when we've always been kind of a binary world. So this really brilliant author, Alice Drager, she wrote this book called Galileo's Middle Finger. We love books here, so we're going to go, definitely going to recommend that. To to understand intersex, or what we now call disorders of sexual development, to understand trans history, and also understand how the medical community, not trying to be mean, would try to assign someone to be either masculine or feminine, and that includes cutting off penises off young boys because they didn't know, they had what they called in the medical world, ambiguous genitalia, or true hermaphrodism, where they actually have a penis and a vagina. So what they'll do is they'll take one of those away, and then they will give them cross-hormone therapy at a very, very young age, trying to make it so when they go to the world, they'll fit in. Is there a met- I, beyond, I know okay. that the parents are often then given the role of assigning what gender they want this child to have. I just have to add something in and they're given whole fucking misinformation by medical people. Right. And that's so that's my point is I know that there's a big movement right now of please don't let them get to the age that they can make consensual decision on what they want to do. Is there a medical way that they, how do they, how does the doctor, is it literally, Hey, your child right now at this moment, your child has. Ambiguous genitalia. And we're not sure. Ambiguous genitalia. Which would you like her to be or them to be? And then it's that way. Sometimes it's done with that. Sometimes it's done with uh, what seems to be the predominant genitalia. Well, it looks more like a penis than a vagina or a clitoris. And so sometimes they're just, again, these aren't mean doctors. They're trying to put someone into the binary world because they know firsthand how people that are not binary are horribly mistreated. So they're very aware of how shitty it is in life to come out with not being masculine enough or not being feminine enough. So I don't think these doctors are mean, but I think that their antiquated approach, which is very well described in Alice Drager's book, Galileo's Middle Finger, and it's a really cool story how she gets to Galileo's Middle Finger, but she's a medical historian and she gives a really great overview of the entire, you know, sexual development and actually embraced by that society. So they actually pull her in and she goes to conferences. She goes to medical school. She gives lectures. And a lot of the doctors, she said, have been approaching her after they graduate medical school. And they said, OK, in medical school, I was taught this and I don't want to do any of that old world shit anymore because I read your book and I don't want to fuck anyone over. Please tell me, how do I approach disorders of sexual development when I see some? Somebody like this, what should I do? So the doctors 
that are going through medical school now are contacting her directly. And she's working with a number of professional or medical organizations across the country and has made a huge positive impact. Because I remember when I was listening to the book and they were saying, also, we had this one girl and we weren't sure, boy, girl. So we went ahead and took the enlarged clitoris off and they got to a certain age. And so they said, oh, crap, that was a penis. Okay, well, we're going to keep her on hormones because that's what we did because the hormone testing that they did when she got into, in, into puberty wasn't high enough. So they started giving her fake ones, which is so funny because the whole country right now, if you treat a trans person, they want to put you in jail. They wow. want you to go to jail. They wanna, they're making these felonies. But if you have someone with ambiguous genitalia and a doctor does a procedure and they cut off a penis and then they give someone estrogen who's not a transgender person. Well, that's okay because the doctor's just trying to make him normal in society. In my mind, oh my I'm God. like, one is brutally what? castrating someone for life, and the other one is when you look at the big spectrum of all the people in the transgender world when they have a procedure, you have a two percent regret. Two percent. That's less than the number of people that regret LASIK surgery. Wow. <laughs> I mean, when what people say, "Oh my God," but what if you change your mind? It's well, lesson learned. Well, the kids can't make that decision. It's but if you have a six-year-old girl sitting there looking you in the eye and said, "I'm a girl," and mom says, "Yeah, but you have a little pee-pee." I don't care what I have. I that's not me. And it's really hard to argue with someone saying that they know who they are. And one of my favorites, and I'll share with both of y'all. There's this really cool video about this trans woman who's an activist and out there in the world, a black trans woman who sits down with a journalist and they switch roles. So the trans woman becomes the interviewer and she goes, so when did you discover that you were cisgendered? How okay, did you explain cisgendered so that because we used other terms, but we haven't used that one yet. Oh, no, that's a good point. So cisgendered yeah. is when we're talking about cis, someone who is born a male and feels and thinks and acts like a male. They express their gender in a masculine way and everything that fits in the norms of masculinity. Right. A straight cis male would be a man who's attracted to women and he looks masculine and he acts and feels masculine. So what's opposite to cis? Trans. Trans. Okay. Yeah. So someone who's a cis woman. And sometimes you can say a cis woman and then you could say gay or straight All right. you know, to further describe. So when she was saying, okay, so when did you know that you were cisgendered? And because she's a journalist and has researched this and has asked this trans woman to come on for part of the interview, she's like, I don't really know that I actually knew. I mean, I just knew. So, I mean, were you sure? I mean, don't you think it was possible that maybe, you know, that you weren't cis and that maybe you were either gay or trans? No, it really never occurred to me. It's, well, when did you first have sex? Okay, do you still have your genitalia? Do you still have a vagina? And she started asking all these questions. Exactly how it is. Exactly. Right? And then she gets five or six minutes into this and they just kind of stop. And the woman, who's the journalist who was letting the trans woman ask her these questions, she was like, oh my God, that was horrible. She goes, and I read the questions. We wrote them together. But actually having you ask me about my genitalia with the camera in my face seemed like the most inappropriate. And he goes, and people always ask me that. And they say, well, the community just really wants to know. <laughs> Everyone is asking these questions. We need to answer these questions so people understand. So I'm going to ask you a question I would never ask anyone else on the planet. I want to know, do you still have a penis? Exactly. Never. And, never. And, and it's brilliant. So that always triggers the question when somebody says, oh, they're in middle of transition. The one plus one doesn't equal two. It's going to equal 47. And it's confusing again. Yes. And what nomenclature do we have? We have gay, straight, bi. Right. And everyone in this room knows there's a lot of other sexualities associated. But then you take kinks. Oh, yes. So, oh, sorry. Some people are into BDSM. Some people just want latex. Some people can't get hard without leather. That doesn't matter on how... I mean, that's just how they dress. 
But right. nobody walks up to somebody and looks me in the face at a fucking grocery line and is like, do you like your ass beaten? Do you like your ass eaten? Do you like to peg people? Do- exactly. It's not a, it's not a something that would actually be done to but anybody. But they would ask a trans person that question thinking it's okay Every for day. me to ask because you told me. So it's okay for me to ask you these questions. And me, I'm like, oh, you just ask the best person because I don't care. I'll talk right. about it. I can educate oh, I everyone you. here. I just think it's a very poignant moment. I think we lean into this whole thing about like our egos and we have a right to know and we have this and we just want, we're really good people. We're just asking the questions. But then again, there's still that, that whole thing of. Well, and also realize that the the, the human brain is built on categorizing. The reason we can remember as many things as we can, as many categories as we can, because the human brain immediately was genetically and chemically programmed to look at something and say, is this going to eat me? Or is this dinner? And your brain has been subcategorizing. Okay, it's not a threat. Okay, is it a friend or is it a friend of me? Is this someone who might support me? Is this someone who can help me? Hey, would this person be good to raise a family with? All these things are happening in the brain thousands right. and thousands of times a second. And so when someone comes up who's a trans woman or a trans man and you look at it, you're like, my brain so badly wants to categorize you. Because first, I don't want to say the wrong gender because it's kind of rude. So the first thing I say is, you're going to fuck up. You're going to make <laughs> mistakes, apologize, be authentic, get over it and move on and be respectful. When you're in an office and they're clinically dealing with you, how would you have them address them? Well, it's funny because that's one of the places where you get dead name more than anything else because your insurance card has to have your legal name. So they're like, okay, Jonathan with 44 double D's and makeup and a skirt and come in, Jonathan. It's really, <laughs> you can't remember that I'm Tiffany now. It's like, does it? Do I look like a Jonathan? Do I look like Bartholomew the (laughs) third? Everything they have now, even is even for my Zoom and even for all these platforms, it's your name and then your pronouns and all the things. You have mine right now. That's how I was when I had to go through my somatic institute for sex coaching. It's please provide your preferred pronouns in this if you feel comfortable. Can I make a can I make a uh, Munsters and a uh, Wednesday just came out about Netflix recently? I love that yeah. one. Adam's family. So if you look on the screen here, it says she, her. And over here, if it said Tiffany, it'd say she, her. And then on Saturday, it would say cousin it because we don't have anything. We don't know what to call her. Right. I think there's so many opportunities right now, especially within the medical community, which of course you are way more informed than I am, is there's always, what would you prefer to be called? Even on forms now, it's doesn't, they're just asking what you prefer. So it could be my nickname's Jenna, but I prefer Jen, whatever that is. And I just, it's such an easy fucking thing to do. I know. And again, it's, and it gets back to the simple, like what you said earlier, it's about being respectful. Yeah. And that's just it. It's like, hey, listen, I don't want you to change the definition of woman in your brain. I am dressing like a woman. I'm trying to act and sound like a woman. But my goal in life is not to change anybody else in the world. If anything, I hope to educate some people and make them feel more comfortable to approach a trans, non-binary, queer, and just really and just be being respectful is probably, you know, the best thing you can do. But understand in the medical community. So when you go into one of these forums where you're going to be presenting a topic and then they have questions at the end, you might have two or 10 questions that people in the audience, they ask these brilliant questions during the conference. And when I looked at my list of questions that were asked for me, instead of five or 10 questions, I had almost 70 questions. And that tells me two things. One, the medical community is not informed. 
The medical community does not know how to practice medicine with trans patients. The medical community does not know how to address trans patients. And on top of that, the medical community, 90% of the doctors I've ever seen once I started my physical transition, it had no idea. It's, wow, you can be straight and a trans woman. I don't get it. <laughs> and it's like, well, the word straight might not work because I'm trying to present as a woman, but we don't really have a great definition or the term. And if medicine decided on a term tomorrow, they change it in two weeks. Try not to <laughs> other people. So, again, it gets back to ask. If you're not sure, ask politely and understand some people that you ask are going to be pissed off that you ask because they think they're already coming across it and it should be obvious. Right. And yeah. then just apologize. I was in Costco and I'm talking with someone. I'm asking them questions. And this guy was just being super nice and kind. There was no sort of any sort of tension of any sort whatsoever. And then halfway through the conversation, he goes, and he calls a friend over and he says, hey, he just asked me about this. Then he caught himself and went <gasps> like someone just shot him in the back. He said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And he said, is it OK if I hug you? And I said, yeah. And he gives me a big hug. And he goes, I'm so sorry because I really am trying to be absolutely respectful. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And I'm giving him a real hug. And I said, man, this is the nicest thing you could have done. And also because I understand I still have a deep voice, which I despise. And I said, so I know it's hard because your whole life you're programmed to recognize the sex of the opposite person and be proper by either using their name or the proper pronouns of he or her. And I said, so these are all genetic programming things and I still come off as masculine enough where if you're hearing my voice more than anything, because they're not seeing me naked, they see me with clothes on it. And what if I'm wearing sweats and it's not as obvious? What if I didn't put on makeup that day? But he was so apologetic, but so sincere. And I, so I just might, I wanted to make sure that he felt that it's okay. And I said, fuck up apologize, move on, and be sincere. Wow. And the guy was the most sincere apology. And I was like tell, trying to comfort him. It's okay. It doesn't hurt my feelings. See, but there, it does to others in my line of work. I'm worried about offending the person that wants to grow. I want to nurture them. I don't want to offend Brilliant. them. I have come across several individuals on the spectrum that are in transition that I tell them, I'm like, I'm going to fuck up. Let me be human, but know that I am behind you 100%. No. I want you to be comfortable in your body. I came up with the phrase that I really like with, so if someone's like trans man or a trans woman in front of me, and let's say, I mean, I'm so sorry. It's like, I'm in the trans world. I know better. I'm sorry, sweetie. I'm, I'm sorry, my friend. And uh, I just want to let you know that it's a mistake and it happens. And then if I remember their name from looking at their chart, let's say it's, it's Tiffany, but they're going by Bob. And okay. they've been in testosterone forever. And I say, like, just want to let you know. I'm on Team Bob. Nice. I might have screwed it up, but I'm on Team Bob. Oh, I like that. I'm going to do what, that from now on, everybody. Whatever you want, I'm in support of. Yeah. If you need me to write a letter that can be supportive of anything medical in your future, because, you know, if I'm just working in a special like ENT or dermatology or something, I'm probably not going to do a lot for them in the world of transition. In dermatology, I think there's a whole bunch of things that we can do to be really helpful from the cosmetic aspect. I can masculinize a face with the injectables. I can feminize a face with injectables and make nicer looking lips, more feminine looking cheeks and brows and all sorts of great stuff. But generally speaking, I'm not in charge of their whole medical care. Right. But when it comes to medical care, there's a lot of women that are out there right now, trans women and trans men, that are taking care of themselves. And right now you can do type in DYI on Google, why 
cross-hormone therapy or transgender medicine or trans man or trans woman DIY. And there's tens of thousands of sites out there telling people, oh, since you're so sick and tired of going to the medical community and getting treated like shit, using your dead name, never using the proper pronoun, regardless of how feminine or masculine you are. And they just they're sick and tired of it. First non-binary patient I had when I was practicing medicine as a woman came in and saw me and was just kind of silent at first. And I was like, okay, well, my name's Tiffany. She, her, I'm a physician assistant, been in medicine since the early nineties. How can I help you? And she's, my name is Jessica. I go by John and I have never been in a medical office ever in my life until today where I felt comfortable. And it's one of those moments where it's like, again, for the non-binary world, I don't understand it and I don't have to. I just have to be respectful. Right, right. right. And if I screwed up his pronouns, (laughs) maybe he's not a trans man, but in the non-binary world, and you want to be respectful, but being blunt about it, I don't give a fuck. I'm on Team John. I'm on Team Bob. I'm on your side no matter what, even if I screw up the pronoun. I'm so fixated on pronouns, and there's a dead name involved. Doesn't help me. I wish I was never introduced to their dead name because that screws up my pronoun. Oh, yeah. It would just be like if someone gave you a name and they changed your name later. It's going to take years before you get that right. That's my problem. If you introduce somebody to me the wrong way, they're like, this is Sasha. Oh, wait, shoot. This is Sonia. I will always call her Sasha because it's the immediate energy connected to the Sasha, not the Sonia. Well, when you go to your high school reunion... And you remember Frank Burns or let's say Frederica Burns <laughs> to give MASH association. Yeah. <laughs> and you see Frederica Burns like, oh, Frederica Burns, oh my God, you're my favorite person in choir. She goes, it's Frederica Johnson now. I told you the last three reunions that we had, but you met this person as Burns and you grew up with this person and you spent more time with Frederica Burns than you did almost anyone in your family because wow. you did choir together. So these things are difficult. And again, I don't judge people on it, but when I see someone doing it, you know, asshole, like, like I'm going to put you in place because my God tells me that what you're doing is wrong. And I love those arguments because I have wonderful trans uh, Catholic friends who come back and said, well, actually what they said in the Bible was this, unless you're going to Deuteronomy, in which case they shouldn't be wearing cotton and nylon anyway, and God's going <laughs> to burn them in hell for that. Oh, and that little tattoo you got there that says, I hate gay people. Yeah, you put that on your skin. You're not supposed to tattoo yourself. So you're going to burn in hell. So I love my Catholic trans friends because they have so much good, solid information. Oh, I love that. Oh, I got to tell you, one story was my favorite was this uh, meme on Facebook. So a guy said, Deuteronomy, I can't remember specifically, but it said, thou shalt not, a man shall not lie with man or whatever the phrase is. And then on the other side, it had a picture of that part of Leviticus. And then they highlighted two sentences down, thou shalt neither paint nor carve thine skin representing anything. And he's like, yeah, so he's telling people they're going to burn in hell for being gay, but he's going to burn in hell because he gave himself a tattoo. Sorry, following your rules, you're dead. I especially love it when they're religious tattoos, just FYI. Nothing fucking floats my boat harder than just a person full of religious tattoos being just so not Christian or whatever it is that they're trying to be. When you're you're talking Deuteronomy, you're talking about the old Bible or what they call the old old edition. Also, what I like to call is Jewish people. For people who quote Deuteronomy, it's like, I didn't know you were Jewish. I'm not Jewish. I'm Protestant or Church of God or by God, I'm right, church. <laughs> yeah, the Old Testament was actually overridden in the New Testament. If you go by any of the New exactly. Testament. If you go by the Old Testament, you're basically Jewish. Yeah, basically. And I love to tell people that I like to quote Deuteronomy. It's like, oh, you're Jewish. Yeah, but oh, I, just, yeah. I, I love the oversimplification of we can get along. And exactly. there's something to create yes. a conflict on something like this one. We're all really trying to do the same thing, which is bring people closer to God, which I think is great. Right. Or as I like to say, 
me and Jesus have a great relationship. Oh, I do. I just have a problem with some of his followers. <laughs> there you go. I do too. The bumper sticker a friend of mine had on his car. Oh, I love that. Actually. <laughs> I think just what Sarah and I say at the end of the podcast all the time is go be good humans. And the, the Bible for whoever believes whatever is fine. But basically, I think the main intention was a book of morals and to live your life correctly and guidelines and whatever. But I don't believe that you have to be Christian. I don't believe you have to be anything to be a good human. I think that you have to want to be a good human. And I would argue sometimes, and I'm not an atheist people, so I would argue sometimes that atheists that are good humans have something a little bit more over us Christians that were raised in the church where ours was born out of obedience and necessity to not die in hell and to only ascend. And and also you became very good because of ass whoopings. And had you you would might not have turned out good. So all these atheists, they just turn out good on their own. How is that? Because they choose to be. No, exactly. I think that's, yes, that's the blanket statement is just, it doesn't matter. Well, I mean, whenever you look at at a lot of the religious arguments against the LGBT community in general, there's just most of the time a lot of contradictions. And I can, I mean, if you think about it, a lot of the stuff that, you know, that's in the Bible has a lot of natural contradictions, but that doesn't take the essential message, which is do good, be helpful, love thy neighbor, love everyone, live with more love in your life. I mean, if you had to translate the Bible into just one word for me, the word has always been love. For yeah. me, if I could only use one word, the space aliens came down and they said, we're going to destroy the entire earth unless you can tell us what does the Bible mean? But you only can use one word. I just say love. So, I mean, that's for me. I'm not a super judgmental, hateful person anyway, but I do like giving people shit who are super judgmental and hypocritical anyway, just because it's kind of fun to screw with them. So one of the things that I heard from on the W path, so the, all the doctors across the world who are practicing medicine with a focus on transgender patients, or they have a transgender patient population. One of my favorite answers when someone said, hey, I've got this thing, I've got this uh, trans man who's been on this hormone therapy for this time, and they have this blood work that says this, or a trans woman that's been on across hormone therapy for x number of years 45 years old he has problem a b and c how should i approach this and i really love this one doctor's answer and it's well if it's a trans woman and just a picture in your mind instead of you're treating a trans woman you're treating a woman who's on birth control what would you do for the same 45 year old white female instead of trans on birth control how would you approach that exact same lab? And, it, and I liked it because it was an oversimplification of what would you do if this was a woman who happened to be on estrogen also? And then the, it created really good long discussions. Well, if it was a woman on hormones and they had this, I'd probably order this test and this test. And I just thought, what a great simplification. Very similar to a simplification I had young in medicine by a great doctor. It's like, I'm in the emergency room. It's like, well, I got this lab and I got this thing and I got this thing. It's like, I don't know what to do. Where do I start? And the guy said, what would you do if this is your aunt, your favorite aunt? And then once you put it into perspective of this is a relative of mine that's going to be at every Thanksgiving and Christmas for the rest of my life. So if I screw it up, I'm never going to let it down. <laughs> in other words, yeah. this is someone that you love and you care about. And he said, what would you do if it was your aunt? And I was like, well, I'd order this test and I'd do this and this. And he goes, there you go. He goes, treat your patients like they're your family. Wow. And it was just one of those crescendo moments. And that's what this trans medicine talk, this one doctor was saying, if you ever get confused, just pretend it's actually a man or a woman and not a trans man or a trans woman. And they were on cross hormone therapy for whatever. Let's say it was a man with just low T. So you're giving him extra T to help out with sexual function. And you had this lipid abnormality. What would you do for a man? 
Well, I'd probably get a cholesterol. I'd probably make sure the lipids are, all the lipids are good. I'd probably do that every three months. I put it on Lipitor. It's like, okay, that's what you do. And I really like that, that one approach to it, but there's a lot of really complicated ones because like I said, trans men and women are now being kind of mixed in within the same category of people who have a biologic or a genetic disorder that's changing the way their body is metabolizing different chemicals and different chemical pathways. And that complicates it. And that's why we like to involve people like we'll get endocrinology, we'll get different specialists in certain parts of the body, like a urologist for, okay, well, we're having a whole bunch of incontinence and it doesn't make sense. It didn't start with the hormones, but it started years after. Is there an association? And the answer is usually no. But, you know, in the world of medicine, some of the most horrific examples I've heard of, you know, like a trans woman walks in the emergency room, she has a broken arm. So, of course, they have to do a genitalia exam and they do. And then they bring in the other medical students to witness that, yes, she actually still has a penis and it's not fun. It's just a little tiny thing. Oh my electrolysis Because she's getting ready to go through her cross. What does that have to do with her arm? Oh, it has to do with malpractice, in my opinion. But if you go to YouTube and say transgender medical horror stories, I can't watch them anymore personally because it breaks my heart that the world of medicine was so callous oh, for such a long oh time. Oh my God. I, I empathize with that. The feeling that it brought up in me was just of that. Oh, no, it, it makes sense. Because like, how it, dare you, fucking moment. It, and I hate to say it, but, you know, when you're talking about your kid, it's always different. But when you're going to a teaching hospital and it, being an educator, I'm a huge fan of teaching hospitals. Every right. time I had a patient and I had a student there, I'd say, I have a physician assistant who's just going through training, but I only want you to do it if you're comfortable with it. And in teaching hospitals, that happens about, I think, every 0.4 seconds, because I mean, that's how you learn in medicine is a doctor, PA, nurse practitioner, or a nurse saying, hey, doc, we got one of these over here. We only see those like once or twice a year. We should get that all the shouldn't include your here. fucking genitalia for a fucking broken arm. None that's of that point. is a problem. That's my point. In the world of medicine, they would write down or ask some questions and then come up with something. And I remember there's a PA student that was in the rotation before me. So we were in the emergency room together because we're overlapping. And I remember him like getting ready to do a pelvic on this senior-old army soldier. And I was just like, what are you doing a pelvic for Oh, she had a complaint of this. And I said, no, she didn't. She said she felt indigestion. He goes, well, it could be abdominal. It could be. I just remember thinking in my mind, I don't think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> because I thought, <laughs> so I, I thought that there's this PA student and I went straight to the emergency room physician. I said, I don't know if this is necessary or not. So I reported the guy and the guy gave me crap and tried to get me kicked out of the program. But it was just like, hey, I think that if there's a teaching moment, someone has really bad fibrouterine pain or something like that. Yeah. I hate to say it. You're in the army. We're going to bring seven students in here and teach them what this feels like in a bimanual exam. That includes putting a finger inside the vagina to feel that because oh if God. they miss that, someone can die. And yeah. they're only a student one time. And you might be the only case of fibrouterine, whatever, that we'll ever see while they're going through medical school. So I know it's harsh, but the educator and me, that I extend that to myself. So there's, to, what you're saying also is there's logical steps to get to that point, right? So yeah, and a fracture is not, not a genitalia exam. Yeah, and we've yeah, all no. agreed with and that. And nor is abdominal pain immediately a genitalia inspection. Like, don't fucking skip the shit. Get there <laughs> if you need to. And I'm down for it if you get there. Yeah, but do the fucking shit first. Do would the you do that first. to your aunt? And Does yeah, would you do? Would you do would that you to your aunt? aunt on and the I table? think, and I think that's the best question. And for me, oftentimes, if I have abdominal pain and I have no reason that I can put it, oh, she ate in the defect number seven. Well, fifteen people got food poisoning. Great, I've explained it. 
I could be wrong and she could have you know uterine cancer anyway, but if I have an explanation that makes sense for it, then I don't want to push someone through something uncomfortable. But if I did that and I did my blood test and I did everything else on the planet and she has seven years of pap smears, they're all normal, and she still has pain from here to here, from the pelvic and the abdominal area, and no explanation, my next comment is, I think that we need to do more of examination. And if you'd be more comfortable, I'll be glad to go find a female OBGYN, but we really need to have this looked at. Because I have a symptom that I can't explain. And if you said you were throwing up and you just went to a seafood place and you left it out for three days and then ate it anyway, I wouldn't be doing this. (laughs) I said, but you're coming in with this pain here that just started randomly and your mom died of ovarian cancer and your grandmother died of ovarian cancer. I think I'd be doing malpractice not to do this. Right. But I mean, that's just how people practice medicine. And that's a normal thing. But on the teaching hospital side, when I started my hormone therapy, one of the things that happens very quickly is, well, a number of things. The skin softens, the hair will become thinner. You know, So like the diameter of the hair under the microscope will be thinner, but it doesn't make it go away. I wish to God it did. You mean on your face or <laughs> on your whole body? Whole body. So I'm in this office and the intern comes in. She goes, hi, I'm the intern for doctor. She'll be in in just a minute. So how long have you been on hormones? And I say, and it's then the doctor comes in and we're talking and it's okay. Everything's normal. I just need refills. Now I'll look right at the student who's doing the rotation I might be the first or the last trans person they ever seen. I said, have you ever examined a trans woman's genitalia before? And it may sound strange coming from a patient, but as a medical educator, I said, because there's two things that you should really understand. One is when you're feeling for the testicles, they're going to be the size of almonds and not huge walnuts, almonds, tiny little ones. So if you're doing like a teaching a man how to do a self-testicular exam, just like you would teach a woman how to do a self-breast exam, you have to know what normal is. And I said, so if a guy comes in, he's got acne everywhere and he's got this brutish sort of overaction, reaction really aggressively. And his testicles feel like little almonds, probably on some sort of hormone therapy, like some sort of raging bodybuilder, whatever. Right. It's a teaching point. So I've always offered my body in the sense of, hey, it's time to teach. I just, I'm in awe of you and I appreciate everything that you've had to say today. You're teaching, you're guiding, which is what I resonate with teaching and giving people the tools they need to succeed. Well, if I was going to try and sum up on the medical side, I'd yeah. say, first of all, there's a lot of things that one thing that I didn't bring up with the HIV in the trans world is pretty mm-hmm. darn high. So black females can have a 40 to 60 percent positive HIV rate. The spreading of HIV was much more common. The other thing that I would say is probably directly associated with that is there's a number of states where it's very legal just to fire someone. So, oh, you're transgender. Oh, we don't like y'all here. So we're just going to fire you. And they fire them. So if they don't pass in the world as the opposite gender, they can just use that as an excuse and fire them. And there's no state repercussions or legal repercussions. Wow. So what do they do? They go into sex work. What happens in sex work? Sometimes you don't use condoms because they're demanding. So there's a really high number. It's higher in Hispanic trans women and trans men as well. Drug use is high. Tobacco use is high. Alcohol is high. And again, the suicide, all the statistics are higher than all the other categories added together. And people in medicine are not being instructed. And when I say people in medicine, I mean, I want the respiratory therapist to hear this. I want the x-ray technologist to hear this. I want every doctor, every nurse, every PA and every nurse practitioner to be educated in this because if they got nothing else right except pronouns, 
the trans world would be more accepting to go to medical offices. But that really bad example where they did the genitalia exam on someone with a fracture, and when they came back and said, well, you've got a fractured arm, we think it's probably the estrogen you're on. In my mind, and I was actually accused of, oh, you have this uh, infection. I think it's because your hormones. I just looked at them and I said, oh, great. This is going to be a great learning opportunity. As a physician assistant, I would really like you to explain the pathway on how an infectious agent is more likely to penetrate certain cells in my body because of a change in my hormone balance. I've never heard of a testosterone imbalance causing a pneumonia. So please educate me. And she was, oh, well, I'm not sure how it goes, but it all started after I said, no, I told you that I've been on hormones since this, but this problem started five years before that. And she still thought the hormones was the best explanation why this recurrent breathing thing was happening. So the point is, education is critical within the medical community, education within the community in general, and the LGBT community has to be educated too. Huge study when I was young in medicine was, all right, all the patients, do you guys feel like the doctors are talking to you enough about your sexual activity to where they can practice good medicine? And the patients, no. Well, what do you want the doctors to do? And they said, I kind of wish they'd bring it up because I don't want to bring it up. And the doctors on our side, when they gave us the questionnaires, like, how often do you engage in patients and act and ask them about their sexual activity? Because it's a reasonable question. If you're producing hormones or if you're having pain from here to here, I'm sorry, hormones have an impact there. Or if you're having a problem that, you know, specifically associated, or if you have STD symptoms, or if you're just sexually active, or you have some other thing like knee pain, which can be gonorrhea, there's a whole bunch of reasons why it's reasonable to ask. Education is huge, especially to medical people, because right now trans people and people of orders of sexual development and non-binary people are sick and tired of being treated like crap and not just being respected for who they are. So if I get Johnny the pirate that walks into my place, and I don't care if he's three years old or 53 years old, I don't give a fuck if he's dressed like the pirate. I'm going to say, ah, Johnny, and I'm going to treat him like the coolest pirate I ever saw all day. And I'm still going to do the best medicine I can. And I think that we need to get the culture to accept that not only in the medical community, but also in your church and your synagogue and the local school district and the local schools. So it's, it's been around somewhat. You know, we, I mean, it's, it's still have, an awakening. We, I mean, just recently, though, we've had 100 anti-trans and LGBT laws that are put into state legislatures. Yeah. In just the last 12 to 24 months, not going the right direction. It would be like saying, hey, women's rights, we're heading the right direction. Not no, they really. just took a lot of our rights away. That's my point exactly. Yeah. It would be like someone making that sort of association. But there is a lot more awareness and a lot of kids are coming out. I'm not really sure about the whole gender thing because my brain thinks this way. My body's like this way. But it's not really in contrast because I'm okay with this. But I'm also okay with I'm just not sure yet. Um, Which is why I think on the medical side, one of the questions that I was asked recently was, well, is there too young to start people on cross-hormone therapy? And I said, no. And I said, because when you start on cross-hormone therapy, it's going to be after you go through your puberty anyway. We're not going to start you when you're 12. We might put you on hormone blockers. And I said, you know, the worst case scenario for, let's say, a trans woman who goes on hormone blockers. And they say, oh, but you didn't get this testosterone into the whole experience. And I said, yeah, you didn't masculinize the face, force them to go for facial feminizing surgery for $150,000, which most of them can't afford. Right. And then have to go through the risk and dangers of an extra surgery just to appear normal. The risk is, well, yeah, we're noticing that as best we can extrapolate 10, 20, 40 years in the future, that they're going to have a slightly lower calcium. 
So we put them on hormone blockers and then we put them on cross hormone therapy once they get to age of consent. And if a woman can be 16 and get married in a certain state, I'm sorry, if she can get pregnant, get married, she can decide for her own sexuality too. That's where some of the states have been drawing the line and they actually have a hard argument. It's like on, well, yeah, we can let them get married and have sex and have kids, but we don't want them to work on their gender at that age because they're not sure. And it's like, but they're sure enough to have kids and get married. Yeah. Nuts. Anyway, so education, big thing needs to be changed, better treatment of human beings beings in general. And it, and I'm not talking trans, I'm talking everyone on the planet just needs to be nicer to each other. Don't get hung up on pronouns in the sense that I need to make sure that I'm correct all the time. Just be respectful. Bartholomew says, call me Bob, you call him Bob. Or if Bartholomew says she wants you to call her Bob, you call her Bob. Yes. That makes sense? Yeah. So I think what you were saying earlier is really the key. It's just just be respectful. And that doesn't apply just to how to treat trans, non-binary and disorder sector or DSD patients or friends of yours. You just say, listen, I don't really understand this. And the neat thing is I don't have to because I'm on Team Bob. True. I love that. Team Bob. Go. Go, Team Bob. Go, Team Bob. Okay. Now, I talked about a lot of stuff. Is there anything that I was talking about here that was kind of fuzzy and didn't make sense or something you wanted me to expand on more? I think for both, Sarah, and I believe that I feel we're both on par with everything that you've said. I really want to leave that as an opportunity, if you're willing, to our listeners who want to write in and have questions for another time for you on our show. I think that would be brilliant. And and I would stress to all the listeners that it's okay to ask me the inappropriate questions, just like I announced to every medical conference that I speak at. So you don't ask the inappropriate questions when you're talking to friends or family or strangers that you're just trying to be respectful to. Right. And I'm not going to be offended because when I told my family about my transition, certain people were like, well, that just makes sense. You've always been so kind and helpful. And other people in the family are like, you're going to keep your penis, right? (laughs) That's all she cared about. She didn't care about nothing else. I said, we're going to have to have a talk about appropriate questions for trans women and inappropriate questions for trans women. But that one didn't hurt my feelings because she loves me and she was supporting me. As long as I kept my penis, I was going to be on her good side. Wow. That was that one family member. So my point is, if anyone has a question and I'm not going to be offended, I'm here to educate and I'm not here to change the world. I'm just trying to kind of quote someone else, make it so everyone can just get along a little bit better. Oh, I love and it. I think that comes across just as just being polite. What we were taught in the yeah. South is you're just polite to people. Bless their heart. I was just going to say it, but I'm not Southern, so I let it go. I know what that means, though, ladies. Yes, that means they're slightly wrong, but we're going to give them grace. That's what it is. A little odd. Just a little odd. Yes, just a little odd. I'm going to wrap this up. Where can you find us, Jenna? Oh, I hate you when you ask me this. So you can find us on Spotify, on Apple, on Podbean, on... We have two new ones. We have Patreon and we have Discord. Uh, All Orgasmic Tourists there. We also have OrgasmicTourist.com, which is our website that also houses all of our episodes. And you can get to our Facebook, Orgasmic Tourist Facebook group through that one. I'm just going to leave that there. It's too difficult because the Zucker can't handle good orgasms. So (laughs) you have to not... Spell it that way. We terrorize um, And him. please download. Give us the five stars. We're growing our stuff. We've got really good feedback. We want to keep going, but we do need people to do those things. I hate asking for it, but we got to play the game. So if you would I be love so you guys. Yes, please go leave us a message and also send us questions for Jenna. 
the counseling questions or any questions you have that you want to elaborate on, because we do want to do that listeners question episodes. And now ask Tiffany any questions because she's willing to share. We have two wonderful women that are willing to answer questions. Are you not willing to answer questions? Oh, I Sarah does. We've got Jenna says, Tiffany thanks, and Sarah does. That's our new taglines and new t-shirts coming soon. But check out the merch page. Oh, wait, we don't have one. Not yet. yet. Okay, when we get a merch page, check it out. It's going to be really awesome. Yes, it is. With that said, I'm going to tell everybody, go be good humans. Go be good humans, guys. Go be good humans. Amen. The reason why I really am glad you're part of this team, Tiffany, there was a very special woman in my life that helped raise me. And I want to honor her right now by telling her, Larianne, you are absolutely the best person in my life. And I want to thank you and your beautiful wife, Dahlia. I appreciate you. I love you. Thank you for being in my life. guys thanks for listening and supporting our podcast you can listen to us on spotify and itunes and of course on our website at orgasmictourist.com please don't forget to help us out by sharing our podcast and leaving a five-star review as always you can send us an email with your questions and comments to orgasmictourist at gmail.com